0: Welcome to Seen and Heard in Edmonton, the podcast about bloggers and podcasters in the capital city of Alberta. I'm your host, Karen Unland, and joining me today is Caleb Caswell, host of The Teardown, a podcast that seeks to capture an honest, healthy conversation about what goes on in Edmonton's music scene. Welcome. Hello. Seen and Heard in Edmonton is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. ATB Financial is making it possible for us to build this network to help podcasters create and businesses succeed, and you'll learn more about that later in the show. All right, over to you, Caleb. Uh, Why did you start the Tear Now?
1: Um, It kind of came from two different places. I graduated from the professional writing program at McEwen, which is now the uh, Bachelor of Communications. and. I was a music student before that. I took drums through the percussion program at the McEwen Music Music Program. And I've always been looking for a way to kind of combine those interests. And at the end of the day, after so many uh, years of doing magazine interviewing, I had kind of accrued a lot of interview experience. And what I'd always been told after a lot of my interviews was that either it was really fun, or if it was somebody who had done tons of interviews, they would say like, It was really enjoyable, and you asked a lot of questions that I hadn't been asked before, which kind of gave me the idea that maybe I would be successful if I could do something in a podcast format and not really need to cut a lot of stuff and keep it fun and keep it entertaining for the audience and for the person I was interviewing. And then I had a chance meeting with um, another musician slash journalist in the music scene, and we had a long talk about how with music journalism in Edmonton specifically, there isn't much that's very critical. A lot of it is very much about boosterism, uh, which I think has its place, definitely, but I don't think that there was anywhere that was really talking about issues or looking to improve the scene through criticism. So I wanted to make a format and a platform where we could have honest, sincere conversations about, you know what, I don't like that this is going on, I don't think that um, we've done enough to improve certain areas. So. Unintentionally, the podcast has kind of become not only about music, but it's been about people's narratives and social issues.
0: So to that point, you had a, a recent um, episode that you had with Audrey Ochoa, who's mm-hmm. a jazz trombonist. As To me, to a total new, newbie to the music scene, and I, don't, I still don't know much about it, but I got a lot of insight from that conversation. One of them was the, the practice of booking three bands in one night means that nobody makes any money. That was really interesting that Mm you said that. Yeah. Is that an example of what you feel like you're able to draw out of people?
1: I mean, that one is even really common, I would say. A lot of people know that. And more than drawing it out of somebody, I I think that she definitely was very critical of it, more than most people that I've spoken with. And that kind of comes from the genre that she plays in. Um, I think that what I'm able to draw to people is the things that make it so that Audrey got to the point where she's like, I can't share this podcast. This might piss off too many people. Right. And I try, I, I actually had this uh, conversation with somebody recently on the podcast where there is always the teardown conversation that happens, which is pretty critical. And then there's the the, the recorder goes off and then we talk for another half hour and that's when stuff really starts coming out. But yeah, I think um, if I have any ability, and again, this is something that I, I I kind of felt going on with my interviewing, um, I'm able to get people to a comfortable place where they feel that they can share. One of my favorite examples is I was interviewing um, a guy for Alberta Venture and he was a big up-and-coming liquor agent tycoon uh, one of the fastest growing companies in Alberta and we met at a coffee shop in Calgary he was wearing a full suit this big glass boardroom so it was just the two of us doing the interview and I think 40 minutes in he was leaning back in his chair with his feet up on his on the table and his hand kind of draped over the back of his head over top of his forehead <laughs> and it was just this visual of like oh, I, I I think you're okay like talking <laughs> to me so Yeah, a lot of it is um, just giving musicians who I think are desperate to have these conversations a place where they, A, know it's safe, B, they know that it's in a place where it's not that they want to destroy Edmonton's music scene, they want to make it better, and how can they achieve that end? Um, And then, yeah, having fun with it.
0: So do you think, to what extent do you think the fact that you are also a musician helps you establish that comfort level?
1: Oh, I think tons. I think a lot of it comes down to having this shared, um, not only terminology, I think, which a lot of the time just lets people know that like, I can talk on your level. And that helps people not edit themselves as they're speaking and think like, okay, well, how do I communicate this in a way? And while I think in certain episodes, um, if I speak with people that are of a very high academic knowledge, it would lose Um, quite a few people. For example, I have two friends that I've interviewed, one of whom went to do uh, composing in LA, so he does film composition now, and another friend who's getting his master's in composition in Germany at the moment. And while we speak uh, in a couple of places about some like really heavy music theory, I think that where someone who isn't familiar with that terminology will still benefit is later on in the interview where being able to speak at that level makes them comfortable enough that they can kind of bring it down because it's not it's the talk is never that heavy for that long. It kind of goes in and out of like conversational, like oh yeah, and then I think this is stupid <laughs> kind of stuff all the time.
0: And I guess the value of the the podcast format is that you have space to sort of do a little bit of listener education before you get into the opinionating.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Okay. Um, the The significance of the name this is something that. The, the teardown is a thing, right? So mm-hmm. tell me, why is it called that and, and what are you trying to capture?
1: So when I was trying to name the podcast, I, I was trying to thread this needle of something that uh, was a little bit deeper than the surface, I think, and that was also, it was constructive, but it was critical at the same time. And while the teardown sounds very negative, and I'll, I'll get into in the end why I'm, I'm okay with that, um, the idea is that musicians after a gig... Uh, we do something called tearing down the stage. Theater people do it as well. And you just strip all the cables, all the the instruments, everything off so that it's clean again. And whenever musicians do this, that's when the unpacking of the night kind of happens. And it's like, I thought this sucked. I thought this was great. Uh, I love the audience we had. I thought we did really well on this tune. I think we need to practice this more. And it's always with the idea of tearing down to build up better the next time. And that was really the spirit that I wanted to capture with the podcast. And I think I've been able to do that with a lot of the episodes. Um, and then, as far as the negative connotation, um, I'm okay with it seeming like it's a really angry uh, podcast because if that draws people in and they want to check it out to see if it's like just a couple of people, you know, beating up on other bands, I think that very quickly they'll understand that's not really what the podcast is about.
0: So uh, what is it about then? It, 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 you mentioned it before, the, Im- the desire to improve the scene. What yeah. what needs improving?
1: Oh, man, it, it depends on what part of the scene. I mean, the fact that musicians... Okay, I was going to say that they aren't making money. That's not true. There are bands that are taking advantage of the current zeitgeist and I think that are, are doing a very good job. Like if you look to Scenic Route to Alaska, the way that they'll do a show, and they'll have shows, well, it'll be, you know, two bands opening for them and they'll still make a lot of money. It, it's just kind of understanding like how their approach to marketing it is. It, uh, it's understanding their reach to their demographic. Um, I think that with the episode with Audrey, we get into sexism in the scene, which mm-hmm. is rampant across all genres. Yeah, um, It's not exclusive to jazz. With uh, an episode I did with Liam Copeland, I think it's episode number five. I talk about drug issues in the scene and how he Got to a place where he had to leave his wife and child and live on the streets and uh an episode that will be going up shortly which might already be out by the time this is released is with um selassie draw and elaine i believe his last name is in and they were performers at afrofest and we afterwards had a three-way conversation about the segregation of our music scene and how it's not intentional It's not something that I think anybody is saying we need to keep black and white music apart, but it's just this thing that's kind of passively happened and I have no idea where Edmonton's rap scene is. And that's always really bothered me as a fan of rap. And then to kind of start reaching out and see like it's a vibrant scene and there are a lot of people that are very invested in what's going on here, but you can't find it. So all of these different issues and I think the first step is to air them out. Um, sunlight is the best disinfectant right? and from there once we can start having the conversation we can start fixing things as soon as it starts becoming visible
0: uh, you've also worked in publishing and I think you still work for BioWare not currently no, not cur- okay. you, you worked for BioWare so th- those are um, interesting experiences to bring to this gig mm-hmm. so what, what do you think that you've learned in uh, the gaming industry and the publishing industry that you apply to the teardown
1: the publishing industry, by and large, I mean, informs a lot of what I do, and a lot of that um, comes down to scheduling. And th- this was actually also something that I picked up from Bioware, um, or more specifically, the media guys at Bioware, where I went to them and said, "Like, how should I be doing this? I'm thinking of launching this podcast, and I'm thinking like it's going to be this heavy. I think that it should be every week." because I can get more of a draw that way. However, I that means I have to edit and interview somebody every week. And they were like, don't do that. You're going to kill yourself. So that's what made it bi-weekly. and, and in large part just made it sustainable. Um, sorry, to go back to the publishing industry thing, I think a lot of that had to do with, or, or a lot of what the publishing industry gave me was that journalistic standard of I need to represent people honestly. I need to do it in a way where I am not intervening in their opinion. I'm not trying to put my point forward. And I talk a lot in my podcast. Like, there are different interview styles. Mine is very, very conversational. And you might like it, you might not. Um, I give a lot into the podcast. And a lot of that is to give them either context for who I am to make them more comfortable, or it's to give them a very concrete jumping off point into something that they want to talk about. So a lot of it came from... um, speaking with industry professionals that have done this sort of stuff before, but also kind of understanding these industries and understanding that if I want to have a conversation about truth, how I have to go about doing that in a way that I am not haranguing myself, I am not inadvertently coloring the podcast with what I want it to be, and just allowing it to be the message that the person wants to put out. Putting the interviewee first, I guess.
0: Yeah, and... and the listener too, right? Yeah. To make sure that the listener gets something out of it, I think you make a really good point about um, the discipline and rigor of uh, continuous publication. Mm-hmm. I think that some people start a podcast thinking, "We'll just do this and 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 I'll ta- I'll figure out who I'm going to talk to," and then yeah. and and it peters out um, because there's no plan. Right. It seems like you've got a
1: plan. A lot of that too, even. Beyond the publishing and uh, the, the tech industry came from, I'm a huge fan of YouTube personalities. There are a lot of channels that I follow. And number one thing I've heard across the board whenever they talk about what was, like, where does your success come from is consistency. Right. So even if you have to lower your output so that your consistency can be the same, that's ideal.
0: That is excellent advice. Uh, I have lots more questions for you, but first we'll take a break for a word from our sponsors and then we'll come back. This episode of Seen and Heard in Edmonton is brought to you by ATB Financial, founding sponsor of the Alberta Podcast Network. I'm here with my daughter, Elizabeth, who comes in from time to time to help me talk about ATB. Hello, Elizabeth. Hi, Mom. ATB is very big on pride and making sure that LGBTQ... Albertans feel supported and accepted. What do you think of that?
2: Well, as an LGBTQ plus Albertan myself, I find that any major institution which supports pride supports everybody in the community. And it's very, very supportive to see LGBT issues in the public eye and seeing LGBT plus uh, related events that are supported by huge institutions like ATB.
0: Yeah. And sometimes that support takes the form of gestures like lighting up the ATB financial building in rainbow colors or letting you get a pride MasterCard with a rainbow flag on it someday. Not yet um, because of credit cards. But anyway, (laughs) Uh, ATB's support also takes some more tangible uh, forms like sponsoring the pride festivals in Edmonton and in other communities across uh, Alberta. Um, And it also supports Camp Firefly and Firefly in schools, and I would just, what do you know about those programs?
2: Well, when I was doing my calm courses as summer school this summer, uh, Camp Firefly, well no, Firefly itself actually came to speak to us, and it was a very interesting presentation that covered inclusivity, various terms you might hear in the LGBT plus community, as well as some very interesting LGBT plus history, which... I found enlightening and also very affirming. That is
0: awesome. I didn't even know the depth that they got into in that, in that course. So that is great. And uh, as a parent, uh, I think it's just very valuable that these opportunities exist and that ATP helps make them exist. We will put a link to ATB's various pride initiatives in the show notes. And remember that these things happen because ATB listens and you can learn more at ATB.com slash listen. All right. We're back with Caleb Caswell of the Tear Down. Uh, so tell me, uh, I feel like you're a bit of a student of the coverage of the Edmonton music scene in mainstream media as well, maybe.
1: Uh, to a degree, I, there's been a definite lessening. of That's that. That's what
0: I wanted to talk to you about. Like, yeah. what what have been the effects of the shrinkage?
1: What I have found more than anything at this point is that the music scene, and this is this is true before I, I, I think um, journalism really took a dive, uh, specifically between like we lost C. And with Sandra Spironis leaving the journal with less coverage, it's really increased the balkanization of the Edmonton music scene. Nobody knows anything about any of the other scenes. There's no touch point across the city for, Oh, I want to check out this scene. How do I do that? I want to know what's going on here. It's all on Facebook. Facebook doesn't have any sort of like central platform really to it for the Edmonton music scene either. And I think the other issue with there not being any, um, specifically critical voices in the scene, is that you lose having any tastemakers. And without tastemakers, again, they serve as one of those touch points into what should I be checking out right now? So everybody's just kind of doing their own thing. They're going off of their own friend groups, which is fine. And it's universal to every music scene, but we don't have anything that everybody can kind of look to as a North Star of what are we doing? what should i be listening to what should i be supporting what's crap in this scene that we should be tearing down and what should be wor- what we should be working towards
0: and that must be a little bit tricky as an independent guy cuz you don't have like a big mainstream brand behind you mm-hmm. to it's like if you make somebody mad uh, you know there's i don't know there feels like there's more security to be critical yeah. In the old way, but the old way is not coming back. So what, does it take extra bravery then?
1: Well, I have to say that as far as like being very critical of the scene so far, I think I have failed in a lot of ways. <laughs> I think that, and it, I, I can admit that, and I think it's good to admit that. It's kind of like the spirit of the podcast, <laughs> right? Um, if I can't do it, then I, don't, I can't expect anybody else to do it. So what's kind of happened is... <laughs> in the space of, instead of me looking at bands and saying like, this is what you're doing wrong, or this is, this is stuff that you could improve. It's kind of become more about the scene itself, which I'm attacking, you know, this entity that, you know, doesn't have a person that represents it. Is that less effective in, you know, making immediate change? Absolutely. I think it's the same thing as anybody who says, like, they go on Twitter and they hit a pothole and it's like, get it together, Edmonton. Right. That's not changing anything. That's not directing your anger towards anybody and making somebody responsible for changing that. It just kind of a, is a downer on every, everybody in Edmonton. And half the time, I mean, most of the population isn't responsible for it. Right. So it just gets dismissed. Um, at the same time, I think that for where I am in building a brand, it's important for me that I have I, I make it so that my authenticity comes first. And once that brand is big enough, I think then I can start cashing in on it. But I'm still in the stage of building it, so I can't really take anybody to task at this point.
0: Yeah, and it, it's actually harder to take people to task when well, you, well, it's very hard to take people to task when you're if you're interviewing them, yes, right? It, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and i think that's something that we're going to have to uh, get our heads around as as independent guys kind of grow up uh to replace what is being lost mm-hmm. um but then yeah you're right like it's just it's something that you have to you have to build your credibility with the audience over time too right yeah uh you mentioned youtube you also are a YouTuber of some sort. I am part of YouTuber. Yeah, so there's a YouTube channel called Anime Bomb, which and B O M stands for. What does it stand for?
1: Box of mystery. Box
0: box of mystery, and and so you you and some friends mm-hmm. watch some anime and commented on comment on it like mystery science theater three thousand like is yes. that kind of what that is? Um, what do you get from that experience?
1: That is. Uh, and I'll do a side plug here. We're actually going to be at Animethon. This will be the second time
0: nice. uh, at
1: McEwen this year at the end of August, so you can come and check us out, do it live. Yeah. Um, I mean, what do I get from it? It's, it was an idea. It's a bunch of guys that all worked at BioWare together. We were all testing games, and we all found that we had very similar interests. Uh, one of the guys went out, this is when Blockbuster was just closing down, went out behind a Blockbuster and found a box of old anime And it was like part four of seven. So it's like, there's no way you have any, uh, any understanding of what's actually happening in the series at that point when you watch it. And so the box of mystery was we would always just pull out stuff at random and then just watch it and talk over it. And the less we knew of what was going on, the funnier it would be. So for me at this point, it's incredibly exciting because it's a, it's a tiny channel. It's exactly where I am in terms of the podcast. It's very small listenership, but kind of growing steadily and getting some fans that are ardently in support of it. Um, So not only is it kind of approaching new media in the YouTube sense, which I haven't really done at this point, and kind of seeing what that is, it's also just an exploration of um, a topic I think is really funny with a bunch of guys that I think is really (laughs) good. And I think in any project that you take on, any sort of side chase that you do, you have to find it entertaining. So with Anime Bomb, for me personally... Despite thinking that like not every episode is gold, but (laughs) the majority of them I really enjoy, and also just it, it it's another way to work on improv that's true Yeah, Yeah. which I think is um, I've always described doing podcast interviews or interviews in general is that you're doing an improv scene with somebody else but the other person doesn't know they're doing improv (laughs) so you have to be really good at your game you have to understand like where is this narrative going you have to be able to react depending on what they want to give you Um, so any sort of practice that I can take from that is invaluable
0: and it's such an interesting medium growing medium Uh, Audience-wise, I I see this through the theme of my kids or Mm -hmm. the lens of my kids who are 12 and 15. They barely watch TV. They watch YouTube. and, And they have this whole language in between them about what Linkara said about this or, I don't know, I, I kind of pick out bits and pieces of vocabulary that I don't understand. Yeah. Uh, that's the future. They're not going to come back to TV. They're going to keep watching YouTube or something else, whatever comes next, right?
1: And what's really funny actually is that there's been this huge sponsorship change in how YouTube functions. And whereas before it was like sponsors would just kind of give out uh, you know, a blanket like we want to be on this many videos, we want to be on videos that have this large of a viewership. But now it's changed so that depending on the video's content and a lot of YouTube... I mean, the strength of YouTube was that it was independence that were making adult content, yeah. essentially. And now a lot of these sponsors have pulled out saying we don't want to be associated with that. And tons of YouTubers have either fled the scene or it's just made it so that it's not a viable way to make money anymore. So there's going to be a huge shift that's coming in YouTube as well relatively soon.
0: It's kind of, That's kind of depressing to hear, actually, because one of the things that I really was heartened about YouTube uh, what heartened me about uh, YouTube was that they realized that they had to find a way to monetize creation they, mm-hmm. they realized that they had to find a way for creators to make some money for doing this if they wanted to encourage more and better content which a lot of other platforms do not did not Agree with right? right we're still all tweeting for free <laughs> exactly um, so I hope that this doesn't signal uh stepping back because i I'd like other platforms and podcasting too to move more towards that instead of away from it mm-hmm. yeah uh what's next for the tear down?
1: I think um I'm finally at a place where I feel like I've covered enough social issues um between drugs between uh, fem- like issues in feminism in the scene that I'm, I feel better about advertising it. I definitely need way more women on the podcast. That is a huge weakness that I have at at, at this point, um, which is its own struggle. But I feel that I'm more comfortable taking this to other um, promoters, uh, like going to the Metro, going to View, and saying like, "This is a thing that I'm doing. Do you think this is an interesting story?" And then from there, getting more interest and spreading the the podcast more that way. I'm also in talks. I'm friends with the guy who organizes um, the Edmonton Music Awards about possibly doing, presenting an award. Oh, that's cool. Uh, and I, I was in talks with him. He's probably not paying attention to anything I'm saying as far as like what he should be doing <laughs> with the Edmonton Music Awards. But I said that, you know, he has this platform that I think would be invaluable in creating tastemakers. And there should be an award for music journalists in Edmonton. Oh, yeah. And even if... As, I, as I've always heard, like if you win the award, great. the, the, the big deal is that you were selected. Yeah. You were nominated for the award. Yeah. and it just puts eyes on the right people. yeah anyway. So right now, I'm kind of entering more into a phase of like how do I improve my promotion now that I have a really good stable of content? And as far as like how do I continue uh, with the podcast, I mean keep getting bigger and better interviews be conscientious of how I edit them and the length I've been told several times that like I think typically I hit about an hour and 45 minutes and it's shorter
2: please it's the death (laughs) I know
1: so depending on how people depending on how people look at it but um, yeah just continually refining what I'm putting out
0: awesome well we'll take another break and when we come back we'll hear about the local podcasts that Caleb recommends This episode of Seen and Heard in Edmonton is brought to you by the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB. One of the outstanding podcasts we have in the network is That's So Maven, a podcast by, for, and about female entrepreneurs and leaders. Every week, host Andrea Bessa interviews a woman who's making a difference, and she really gets them to open up about what's hard about it in addition to what makes them successful. Andrea is a curious and passionate interviewer and her show is a great source of inspiration to me as a female entrepreneur. I bet it would be for you as well. You can find That's so Maven and the other members of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB at albertapodcastnetwork.com. All right, so uh, what podcasts or blogs that are made locally do you like?
1: Uh, one that I came across and this is funny because it was after I had started a music podcast that I then had the thought, oh, I should see who's doing a music podcast <laughs> in Edmonton, thinking that I'm totally original. But um, I, of course, came across uh, the Cups and Cakes podcast with Jeff McCallum. We recently interviewed each other about our approaches to the music scene and appeared on each other's podcast. It was a great idea. It was all Jeff's idea. Um, another one that I found was the Vintage Edmonton Music Podcast.
0: Uh-huh, I love that. I it love is that.
1: it is such an interesting. I didn't really know what to think mm-hmm. the first time because um, it's not the most high fi in production, mm-hmm. I would say. But when it actually gets into the content of like, here is this band from Edmonton in the fifties and. Yeah what I've always found, even with music today in Edmonton, it's that to really appreciate it and to kind of get rid of that Edmonton odds from Edmonton stigma, you have to view it through some sort of lens, whether that's from somebody who doesn't live here or w- whether it's this band that's touring somewhere or it's like it's 50 years old, Yeah, uh, yeah. It, which is one that I'd never thought of. So a lot of these bands were like, yeah, this is just like this is like radio play. This, yeah. is, this is good music. I can't <laughs> believe they were making this 50 <laughs> years ago. So it's it's, and I've, Growing up with a musician father and, you know, being kind of tied into that generation through a lot of his friends and hearing these stories of like what Edmonton was like in the 1950s and 60s and 70s and its music scene, I had never actually heard the music from there. So to finally kind of connect that in a tangible way has been really, really incredible. And I I think they're doing great work.
0: Well, uh, shout out to Kelly and also known as Rev Recluse, who mm-hmm. I know is a listener. He'll be so thrilled that you like it. Um, and it's only possible because he like spends his weekends going to garage sales and finding Edmonton vinyl that he can like share, right? That is, so. that is
1: such a weird weekend. Bobby. <laughs> God bless him. But like, oh, man. Yeah.
0: All right. At the top, you you mentioned that you had a graduated from McEwen's um, professional communications program. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your advice for grads coming out of that program now who want to find, uh, who want to do journalistic work or any kind of communications work?
1: My career um, story, <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a communications grad and I can't, I can't put a sentence together <laughs> right now. Um, I was, first off, like every time that you have a stroke of luck, Take advantage of it. Mm. I was I was incredibly lucky. Where I went through uh, professional writing and magazine writing was a course that I took. And I mean, I I did everything. I did screenwriting. I did prose. I did. I took advantage of every opportunity there was. And that's that's more or less the theme for the next bit of what I'm going to talk about. Um, where I was very lucky uh, that my magazine writing teacher Tara Blasco Rye uh, noticed my writing, and then she recommended me for Alberta Venture. Uh, I was supposed to do the internship there. Long story short, they did hire me. And the Sunday before I was supposed to start, they came back and said, there's been an HR issue. We can't actually hire you. And so lesson number two is that when you have a setback, handle it with class. I went home and I went on Facebook and I wrote like, oh, Alberta Venture, no, no, no. And another writer in the scene immediately got in contact with me and said, delete that because you don't know when they're going to come back to you. I deleted it. And the day after, one of the editors came back and said, we screwed you over, we need to go for coffee. And from there, I immediately started getting features. And I was doing like a freelance internship. Um, Because I had the chops from Alberta Venture, I got the internship at Avenue Magazine and I did that for six months. Because I did the internship at Avenue Magazine, I knew the people in the publishing no, sorry, the the media side, which is their advertising arm. So then I was their advertising writer editor because I did that by myself. I went and I was able to write for an app for Bioware for six six months, six months. And three weeks of that was playing Mass Effect 1, 2, and 3 at my desk. So every opportunity is a vault into the next opportunity. Don't, and this is, this is a very difficult topic for me to kind of straighten out my life right now where I have always been very adamant about I'm going to do what I want. I don't want to make a lot of concessions and then all of a sudden, like w- with music, for example, a lot of people start off as like they want to be a jazz musician and then they become a music teacher as like a way of like, I can make a living and I'm still in music and then people hate their lives for 40 years. <laughs> so I was very interested in always like, I'm pursuing what I want to do. And at the same time, I mean, I, I have made concessions. I've made compromises. But at the same time, it's led me into doing amazing different things that are the things that I wanted to do. So I think that um, keep an open mind. Take advantage of every lucky opportunity you have. Pay attention to what, again, the zeitgeist is. Don't just follow something because it was successful for somebody else. Pave your own path. And uh, one of the best pieces of music advice I've ever received, which actually will come into podcasting new media, um, was uh, an older musician Cliff Menshaw when I was working at Long McQuaid back in the day and we were just talking about how bands come up and he told me it takes 10 years to be an overnight success
0: <laughs> that's excellent
1: and it, it's always stayed with me and it's the same thing with the podcast I have to put the time in
0: yeah,
1: and that's what you have to do with your career
0: so wise. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming to talk to me today.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having me.
0: You can subscribe to The Tear Down in Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud and you can find it on SoundCloud too and you can also visit uh, Caleb's website theteardownsucks.com and it's on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram if you want to dive into anime with him go to youtube and look for anime bomb that's b-o-m and like he mentioned they're going to be at anime thon at McEwen in august to uh do it out loud in front of everybody and you can find caleb himself on twitter at cbw caswell all these links and Caleb's recommendations will be in the show notes at seenandheardyeg.com. If you subscribe to my newsletter at seenandheardyeg.com, you'll get complete coverage of Edmonton's blogs and podcasts. And I'd also like you to visit albertapodcastnetwork.com to sign up for updates on the network that we're, we're building. Many thanks to Castria for helping me produce this podcast. You can find out how they can help you at wearcastria.com. Thanks for listening.